As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Happy Monday, everyone. Welcome to a new week of the Athletic Baseball Show. Tim McMaster here, along with Ken Rosenthal. We're answering your questions through the mailbag. We're actually recording on Monday morning for a change. Usually it's Sunday, but we had some Mother's Day conflicts on Sunday. Happy Mother's Day belated to all the moms out there, by the way. Ken, how are you doing? Good, Tim. I hope you had a great Mother's Day with your wife and hope everyone did as well with their significant others. And obviously it's always a great day. Yep, first one here, so that was pretty cool. Um, Ken, you spent the weekend out in San Francisco. You took in Buster Posey Day at Oracle Park on Saturday, and it got me thinking about Buster a little bit. Uh, The fact that this is a guy who was drafted by the Giants, came up with the Giants, Rookie of the Year, MVP, Gold Glove, all the All-Star games, three World Series, he retires as a Giant, and just how rare that is in this sport right now and and that team that fan base really got to celebrate it on saturday yes it was a very cool day and i always look forward to those kinds of days and i was grateful when i saw that that coincided with our broadcast and the really neat thing about that tim is just what you said that he spent his entire career with one team and not only that accomplished so much with that team and As they did the ceremony before the game on Saturday, it was as if recent Giants history was flashing before our eyes. And what was so striking to me, and it wasn't that long ago, obviously, when they were winning these World Series, but I had forgotten what characters those teams had. Those teams were full of colorful figures. Not Buster, obviously. We'll get to him in a minute. (laughs) But guys like Lincecum and Hunter Pence and Brian Wilson One after another, Sergio Romo, they were a fun group, a very eclectic group. And there was Buster in the middle of it all, as steady a person as you could imagine, as steady a player as you can imagine. He was the bedrock of it all. And I forgot Bumgarner, who in his own way was a very unique personality too, the competitiveness, the fire. So he was, again, the center of it all with them. And 
when I interviewed him during the game on Saturday, I asked him first, I said, hey, you never liked being the center of attention. So what was it like for you today having all this showered upon you? And he said it was a little bit uneasy. And I go back with him to the very start of his career, 2010. And I remember interviewing him, Tim, after games, postseason games. And for whatever reason, I kept drawing him because he was always doing something good. And it just so happened the producer would say, can you take Buster today? Well, (laughs) Buster at that time, if you think he doesn't say a whole lot now, he was a rookie. He was on a veteran club. He was very mindful of his place and really didn't want to say anything. And the interviews were extremely painful. I can't begin to tell you how difficult it was to interview him. Not that he was impolite. It was just that he did not want to say anything that would possibly offend anyone, sound like they're cocky. Anything that he could think of was a trapdoor. So I remember that. And then I sat down with him Saturday during the broadcast. And it was a very pleasant talk. It was really good. And he was open and expansive. And clearly he was celebrated not just for being an amazing player, but he did so much work in the Bay Area community with pediatric cancer victims. And he just was a rare guy, is a rare guy. He's a young man still. And to see him go off that way was really cool. Now, the other thing about him, people always ask when a player retires, a player of that caliber, is he a Hall of Famer? To me, there is no question. He's a Hall of Famer. And Yadier Molina is a Hall of Famer. They are the two preeminent catchers of the recent decade or the recent era, the last 10 to 15 years. And you can throw Joe Maurer in there. But really, that's a position where we don't see a lot of stalwarts anymore, a lot of enduring stars. Obviously, these two guys have done that. Yadier, nine gold gloves, two World Series, four I'm sorry, two World Series titles, four World Series in all. Buster, three World Series titles. And you mentioned some of his other accolades, Tim, at the start. Buster won only one gold glove. Why? Because Yadier won nine of them. And he was always (laughs) going to win the gold glove. Now, I know some people might question Molina's offense. I know some people might question the length of Posey's career. Played 11 full seasons, 1,500 hits. That's it. But... These guys at their positions were the best, and that is what the Hall of Fame is all about. And when I look at a candidate, I look for 10 years of longevity. Generally speaking, there are exceptions. He has that. So it was a great celebration of a great player, a player who is absolutely beloved by Giants fans, an era that, for good reason, is absolutely beloved by Giants fans. And I must say, looking back now, it was a privilege to beyond the telecast for those three World Series titles, and it was a privilege to cover that team. That was a lot of fun to cover that group, and Posey, again, right in the middle of it. Yeah, beloved by Giants fans, and I think appreciated, respected by every other baseball fan, right? There's nobody that's like, oh, man, I hate Buster Posey. Like, that's right. right. Well, yeah, I mean, even the people, well, Dodgers, I guess there's Dodgers fans, but even I them, don't I think, think they the hate respect, The respect is there. Right. Right. And with Molina, it's a little different. Molina plays with a little bit of an edge and some opposing fan bases do not like him. Okay, doesn't detract from him as a Hall of Fame candidate just because you don't like him personally. And he is going to be a Hall of Famer. I 
strongly believe that, even though there is some debate, there'll be some debate about Buster, I guess. But I don't know what more you can ask of either player. They both were just unique. I'll give you one little more tidbit on each. Molina, I would argue, even ahead of Ivan Rodriguez, is the biggest defensive difference maker behind the plate the game has ever seen. Now, I can't totally speak for players, I don't know, pre-1970, but at the same time, I see what he has done. And if you watch them play, you see the conviction he gives pitchers in their various offerings, you see where it comes from. Obviously, throwing out base dealers as well, blocking all those things, he does them. And it's interesting to me, they don't use pitch comm, the Cardinals. Why? Because Yadier Molina puts down the fingers, and that's how they roll. So, <laughs> to me, that alone is what distinguishes him. You go back to the WBC a few years back, he single-handedly took that pitching staff by the hand and said, we're going to go, and they made it to the finals. Posey, among catchers with, I believe, I can't remember exactly the number of games played, but he's second all-time in OPS Plus behind Piazza. That's pretty darn good. So both these guys, outstanding. Uh, it was a great day in San Francisco, and we're going to move on to the mailbag. Hey, this is Ken. I'm not available right now. Please leave a voicemail. If you want to get involved next week on the mailbag, you can call us 646-543-7072. You can also use the email address. That is tabaseballshow at gmail.com. And Ken, we're going to start things off this week with a voicemail. Hey, Ken. It's Frank here from Cleveland. Just wanted, wanted to ask you about Nestor Cortez. Is he the best story in baseball right now? Someone who was DFA'd by the Orioles in 2018 and is putting up early Cy Young-like numbers. I'm just curious, if you were managing the Yankees, how would you manage his innings? I'm just having deja vu to the Jabba rules, and those seem to do more harm than good for Jabba Chamberlain. Should the Yankees just go out there, let him throw 200 innings, or do you think they should manage his innings a little more to ideally save him for October? Frank, good question. And I don't know that I would say he's the best story in baseball right now, but he's certainly one of the good ones. And he's a 27-year-old guy. You mentioned he's bounced around. And yes, the Orioles drafted him Rule 5, returned him to the Yankees. Didn't work out so well for them. But here's someone who does have age on his side. He's been around a little bit, 27 years old, as I said. He also has pitched in winter ball about 40 to 70 innings per season. So he's built up innings that way throughout his career. But from the standpoint that we traditionally look at, major league innings, Last year was his high, and that was 93. 93 innings, his first year as even a part-time starting pitcher. He's at 24 and two-thirds now. I imagine that the Yankees will monitor where he is and kind of just play it by ear, as they're going to do with all their pitchers, as all teams are going to do with all of their pitchers. We just mentioned that I was in San Francisco this weekend. They're trying to find extra days for their guys whenever they can. The theory, the Giants' theory, is... The days of 30 to 33 starts for a pitcher are over. Now it's more about getting 26 to 28 and making those 26 to 28 the best 26 to 28 that they can be. So there's one other thing to consider with Cortez that distinguishes him from Jabba. 
Nestor doesn't throw all that hard. 88.1 miles per hour is his average fastball. That's only the fourth percentile of all major league pitchers. Yet he strikes out people. He's got the spin. He's got deception. He's got funk. All those things. 31 strikeouts in 24 and two-thirds innings, in fact, which is pretty good. That's in the 79th percentile. So I would expect that they're going to watch him. But at the same time, I don't know that it's as big a concern as it would be with a younger pitcher. He's an, I can't say older guy, he's 27, but he's been around a little bit. He's worked, he's pitched, and I expect that it's not going to be the issue with him that it would be for, say, a 22-year-old prospect. All right, let's stay in New York. Another pitching question, this one from Ryan in Brooklyn. He says, if Jacob deGrom comes back healthy, should he become a closer? John Smoltz did it at a similar age after injuries. deGrom is obviously the best starter in the game when healthy, but would it be better for sustaining his career long term if he throws less innings at a time out of the bullpen? He would be less rest in between appearances, but maybe the change would help him avoid the frequent injuries. Ryan, I hate to even entertain this question because it would be removing one of the great starting pitchers of our time from the equation, right? I don't expect that the Mets are going to look at it that way just yet, and I don't know that they should. Now, he took great care, DeGrom did, in the offseason to get his body in better shape. And not that he was in bad shape before, but he made an effort to become stronger. Now, this latest injury seems to me to be a little bit freakish. And maybe it's all just because he throws so hard. And if that's the case, and with pitching injuries, you never quite know where they're coming from. But if that is the case, I don't know that closing and having an irregular schedule is going to be beneficial to him. I will tell you this. I will be working with John Smoltz again quite soon, and I'm going to ask him this question. Because he is close with DeGrom, and he has given DeGrom advice over the years, and they've maintained adult dialogue between them. I'd be interested to hear John's thoughts at where DeGrom is versus where Smoltz was at the time he became a closer. I can't recall exactly the circumstances. If I do recall correctly, and Tim, maybe you can help me here, it had something to do with the team's need as well. It wasn't simply to maintain his health. Yeah, they had, I believe, um, you know, he was he was coming off the Tommy John, and they didn't really have the closer, and they had depth in the starting rotation, I think, so... Now, Braves fans, don't crush us on this. We don't, we're yeah, just if, trying if I'm to wrong, do this off the top yeah. of our heads. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I think that's the case. All right. Well, that's, yeah, it'll be interesting. But I, I think everybody can agree that we, we'd, we'd much rather see Jacob deGrom giving us seven, eight, nine innings than, than coming out of that bullpen, if, if possible. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash. 
or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, next question, you know, Ken, we've talked about in-season arbitration, all the awkwardness that creates this year. But Alex has a kind of a different question about it with some Arbitration case is being pushed back into the season. He says, I'm curious to know if current stats are taken into consideration for these rulings. Being a Marlins fan, one case that comes to mind is Pablo Lopez. Pablo had a lengthy IL stint last year, but is fresh off National League Pitcher of the Month honors. Will the arbiter take his start to the season into consideration when determining his salary? If so, it seems like Pablo would win. Conversely, Jesse Winkler is off to a sluggish start with the Mariners, but had an all-star season last year in Cincy. Alex, this is not supposed to happen, what you're suggesting. The arbitration cases are based on last year's statistics. At the same time, an arbitrator does not necessarily live in a vacuum. And he's not necessarily or she's not necessarily unaware of what might be happening now. I actually asked this question right after the lockout ended, but more as it regarded injuries. Because my thought was, what if a player gets hurt, walks into his arbitration hearing, say with his elbow in a sling or on crutches? How would that affect the arbitrator? And what I was told was basically what I just said arbitrators are human beings. They see things like this. It might influence them. I don't know that the average arbitrator is pouring over box scores or getting on fan graphs or anything along those lines. But the bottom line is these salaries, the arbitration salaries are based on prior performance, not current performance. And of course, usually the hearings take place in February. So there is no current performance to consider. That's the way it should be. Definitely a good question, though. That one came in, and I thought, oh, that I hadn't thought about that either. Here's a voicemail, Ken. Hey, Ken. I keep wondering about the international draft. And um, I know that they're tabling that until they agree with the parameters are. They can also take the qualifying offer off the table. I, and I know that a lot of players uh, are are worried about it for more than just, you know, financial reasons. They have, they have serious ideological criticisms of the international draft. I was wondering uh, if one of the things was um, – that they think it will lead to the death of baseball in their uh, in their countries. I, I've read a little bit about uh, what happened to baseball in Puerto Rico um, after uh, it was excluded from the international draft, and how it basically just it died there, and uh, how um, a lot of uh, players, you know, they, they, there are a bunch of you know at times perverse incentives to cultivate as much baseball talent as possible in these states, and have all these teams, uh, you know. Uh, have these academies, and would those things die with international draft? And is that something that players are worried about? Good question, and I had to research this one because I wasn't quite sure. It is true that the draft in Puerto Rico, and Puerto Rico has been part of the domestic draft since 1990, it is true that that hurt the game in Puerto Rico. Now, there are reasons for that, and what's interesting in going back and reading about this, for starters, is the reason... 
Major League Baseball included Puerto Rico in the draft starting in 1990 was because it thought an international draft was coming and Puerto Rico was going to be the first step. 32 years ago, and they still do not have an international draft. Now, here's the difference between what happened with Puerto Rico and what would happen now if an international draft was implemented. When that occurred in Puerto Rico, you had every other international place, or at least in Latin America, operating the same way. Teams had incentive, and continue to this day to have incentive, to cultivate talent, as you said, because they can get those players, right? They can sign those players. And those players, in turn, are operating in a free market. So they have a greater advantage, too. They can negotiate with all 30 teams as opposed to one. Those two factors combined, the team incentive and the player incentive, that leads to what seems to be a larger player pool. Now, in Puerto Rico, because of the way things evolved, there are no academies run by major league teams. I think there's one run by major league baseball. Not many players from Puerto Rico go to college, so they don't have the leverage that, for instance, players from the United States and Canada do with the draft. Remember, when a high school player is drafted, what happens? Well, I'm committed to Vanderbilt, but if I get the right bonus, I will go to Team X. It doesn't have to be Vanderbilt, obviously. I'm just using that as an example. Players will commit to colleges, and that's their leverage. Well, the players from Puerto Rico don't have that leverage, so a lot of things are stacked against them. Now, if we get an international draft, and I've written at length with Maria Torres about the pros and cons, but a lot of people feel... There are more pros than cons, and one reason is because everything would be uniform, that players from Puerto Rico would be on the same playing field as players from the Dominican and Venezuela, and that would make things for all these countries kind of equal. And it would also, in the eyes of many, reduce the corruption that has gone on in this system, not in Puerto Rico, in the other countries. So there are a lot of reasons why people, at least with MLB, believe a draft internationally would be a good thing. It remains to be seen. There are other people who believe that, hey, if you just cleaned up the corruption and focused on that, you wouldn't need a draft and you could still have this free market system. But it seems to me that this is something that Major League Baseball really wants. And let me get to the conclusion here, which is how this is all going to play out. Now, as you know, if you've been following this kind of thing, July 25th is the deadline for Major League Baseball and the Players Association to reach agreement on an international draft. If they reach an agreement, the qualifying offer system is abolished. No more. That's the incentive for the union to agree to an international draft. If there is no agreement, the qualifying offer system remains intact. Players can still receive qualifying offers and be tied to draft pick compensation. And the current international system also would remain intact. So this is an issue you're going to be hearing about in the coming months. But Where it regards Puerto Rico or how it regards Puerto Rico, it actually would help Puerto Rico now because everybody would be on the same playing field. And I don't think it would hurt the other countries the same way for the same reason. Everyone would be on a level footing.
All right, next question comes from Ben Remus. He says, I was wondering if Major League Baseball had any plans for honorary All-Stars this season. The NBA had success with this a few years ago when the commissioner named future Hall of Famers Dwayne Wade and Dirk Nowitzki to the All-Star game in their final seasons, even though they wouldn't have made it otherwise. With Albert Pujols and Yadier Molina retiring at the end of the year, is this a possibility in order to properly honor their historic careers? I could see someone like Miguel Cabrera getting a similar honor in the future, so this is not just a St. Lewis Cardinal fan asking for special treatment. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Generally speaking, this has not happened, and the rosters are big enough. That's one reason. Now, to me, why can't you bring those guys to the All-Star game and not have them on the team and just have them honored in that way? I believe that might have happened once or twice in the past. Not exactly sure, but if you don't want to have those players take up roster spots. And my goodness, what do we have? 50 All-Stars on each league each year after all the cancellations and the injuries and this and that. I mean, it's almost ridiculous. But if you don't want to do it that way, certainly in extraordinary circumstances, and I would suggest that these are extraordinary circumstances with these players, then yes, I would be in favor of doing something along those lines. Yeah, hey, have a guy or two each year to, to celebrate. We've had the random times when this has happened, right? Like that players actually get to be all-stars in their final season because they're still at that level and the, the fan vote is there. And it's always kind of so cool to see. All right, next question comes from the voicemail line. Hi, Ken. I uh, just wanted to know when the MLB uh, pitcher limit kicks in to 13 pitchers per roster, um, how will that affect Shohei? Will he count as a pitcher or as a batter? Thanks a lot. This is a good question, and it's something I had to check because I had actually forgotten the answer. And the answer was made very clear before the 2020 season, before the pandemic, when we expected the 2020 season to be normal. At that point, it was determined rosters were going from 25 to 26, and there would be a 13-pitcher limit. Now, again, this was all supposed to take place and take effect in 2020, the pandemic changed everything, the shortened season, and then what has happened since as well. And really, this is the first year we're going to have the 13-pitcher limit, and it took a while to get there because of the lockout. It's not happening until May 30th. Now, at that time, when these rules were established, Major League Baseball also established a rule designating or actually outlining who a two-way player might be. And players designated as two-way players would not count, not count, against the limit on pitchers. So Otani ultimately is not going to count. And you might ask, well, okay, what is the definition of a two-way player? Here it is. You have to pitch 20 innings and start 20 games as a position player or DH with at least three plate appearances per game. And that can happen in the current season. So a player can do this and then in August become designated as a two-way player or it can be standards met in the prior season. Now, obviously, there's only one guy doing this. It's Otani. But to answer your question, he is not going to count again against the pitcher limit and he shouldn't because he is both. And that is the advantage of having Shohei Otani on your roster. Uh, next question. I know you love rules questions here, Ken. So here, here's one for this week. Um, some pitch clock questions. Wouldn't the pitch clock with runners on base give an unfair advantage to the runner trying to steal because he can time his jump when the clock reaches zero? And then number two, if a batter asks for time and is granted by the umpire, does the clock stop and then reset when he steps back in? Good questions, and I am grateful 
as always, that The Athletic has such a large baseball writing staff. And more to the point, we have one of the great baseball writers of all time on our staff who actually takes the time to understand and research and really get his head around this kind of thing. I can't say that writer is me. It's Jason Stark. And I asked Jason these questions when I received them because I thought, man, I don't know the answer to either. So I will read you Jason's reply because while he doesn't have all the answers, he at least knows where the sport is in terms of how it's looking at these particular things. And Jason said this, with regard to the unfair advantage the runner trying to steal might gain, Jason said the pitcher can step off and reset the clock, but there are also rules that limit how many times he can step off or throw over. So if he stops the clock twice, the runner has an even bigger advantage because if he throws over after that, he has to pick the guy off or it's a balk. Now, as Jason said, here's the important part to remember. Baseball wants, and he capitalized wants in his text message to me, baseball wants the runner to have an advantage because it wants to encourage more base stealing. Remember, we're going to get bigger bases too. There are ways that baseball or things baseball is doing to hopefully, in their eyes, juice the number of bases stolen during the course of a year. Now, Jason then goes to the question about the batter. If he is granted time, yes, the clock resets. But Jason says, I'll be interested to see how much those requests are granted because that's the opposite of what the league wants, right? The idea is to increase the pace of play. And the final thing is, we don't know for sure how closely the major leagues will come to adapting the minor league pitch clock rules, which are 14 seconds, no one on base, 19 seconds with runners on base. Or we don't know as well what the penalties will be if players don't follow those rules. So we can see in the minors what baseball wants to do here. What we don't know is whether all that transfers to the major leagues. And Jason's final comment was, I will bet the answer to that is no. <laughs> so <laughs> it's a work in progress. And obviously the pace has picked up in the minors. There's not even a question about that. The time of games are shorter to a significant degree. And I expect that the clock, oh, I don't know expect is the right word. I know that the clock is coming next year. It's just a matter of hammering out the final details. Yeah, thank you for, for getting ahead on it, though. Uh, Jason, of course, always. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. One more great product from LinkedIn. You're there to network, you're there to look for jobs, you're there to post jobs, and how about LinkedIn Sales Navigator? It's a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash baseball show. That is linkedin.com slash baseball show for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash baseball show and get started. 
Guys tend to think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort, but it's possible to have it both ways. I'm all set for summer thanks to Mack Weldon. The Vesper polo shirt is so breathable you can wear it on the golf course, but it looks classy enough to wear to a party. The Maverick Tech Chino short is ultra flexible, and the Pima Crew Neck T-shirt is perfect for those casual weekends. There's no need to be uncomfortable in your clothing ever again. Some guys just want to look good without calling attention to themselves. Mack Weldon Apparel gives you understated good looks for understated confidence. Mack Weldon clothes are designed to fit your style and the demands of modern life. They look like regular clothes but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great without even trying. Breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day. Crazy comfortable but elevated sweatpants. An upgraded classic polo with antimicrobial silver threads. An ultra soft antimicrobial tee for when you need to stay fresh longer. That's the Silver Crew Neck T-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code MLBSHOW. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. Promo code MLB show. Uh, last question, Ken. Um, and this one, this one kind of confused me because I, I actually just think the other way on this, but it's from Max. He says, my question is in regards to MLB playoff scheduling. Every year when the MLB playoffs arrive, I find myself asking the same question. Why does MLB schedule weekday afternoon games during the division series? I ask this question now because the NBA playoffs have started recently and their weekday games never tip off earlier than 6.30 Central Time. Why and how is the NBA, with more teams in the playoffs, more early round series, and more games in the early rounds, able to avoid afternoon weekday baseball game, or basketball games, but MLB is not? I really think this is an underrated and under-discussed problem with the game. You capture the casual sports fan during the playoffs, and MLB is alienating a giant segment of the American public, those with jobs, from tuning in at its most entertaining point in the season. Additionally, the early start times during the work week make it hard for even the most diehard fans to attend games live and to watch on TV. Ken, I, I said what I said at the beginning because I love the afternoon weekday playoff games. I love them. I wish there was more of them. Um, I would say the big difference here is that there's baseball doesn't have as many off days as the NBA, but go ahead. Tim, you kind of get to the heart of this with what you just said. As I've learned working in television over, I don't know, the last 15, whatever it's been, years, you can't please everyone with start times. <laughs> and there's always someone who wants a different start time. Now, more people, I believe, well, I can't say this, I don't know for sure, but I often hear from people who ask why there aren't more day games in the playoffs. And there are certain people who have asked for years, hey, why can't there be at least one day game during the World Series? Now, I know the answer to that. That's ratings. They want the games in prime time. And I guess what the questioner or the listener is pointing out here is that if you put all the games in prime time, maybe the ratings would be better and you'd have more interest because people working would be able to see them. Then there are the children. Always people are worried about the children. They can't stay up late to watch the games. They need more day games for the children. So, again, you can't please everyone. But a couple of things here. With regard to the division series, and actually now with the extra round, baseball has sought for a few years now to kind of create an NCAA tournament-style atmosphere where you have all this action from afternoon through the evening and... It's very exciting for the sport. And also, the games don't overlap. 
for the most part. Now, they do in the NCAA men's tournament because there's so many of them, but on a t typical Division Series day, well, the ones where they're all playing, they're basically kind of bumping into each other, but not for the most part. They are in sequence. So that is one advantage, the NCAA tournament-style feel that you get. And it's just one of these things that ultimately you're never going to get full agreement on. Clearly, with the playoffs, ratings are king. And the networks want ratings. Baseball wants ratings. They want to generate as much interest as possible. And I would say for the networks, day games are not ideal. But this is the way the game structures it. There are other reasons to have day games, as I said, to have a different part of the audience, the younger people being able to watch the game. So it's one of these questions you're never going to get an answer that satisfies everyone, but I hope I at least gave you some enlightenment, maybe not a lot of enlightenment, as to the thinking. And you do notice when you get to those long days that you can almost predict which teams are playing at which slots too, right, Ken? Like the Dodgers are are never that 3.30 This is another Coast area game. of They're complaint. always the 10 o'clock game. And the Yankees are never the 1 o'clock game. They're always the 7 o'clock game. Well, you know, Tim, so there is, is whole, ratings there. No, that, Tim, this is a whole different element of it. And yes, I'm actually glad you raised it because this drives fans crazy too. I will hear from fans, say, during the playoffs, when the Braves are in and the Dodgers. Let, they've both been in recent years. Milwaukee's another team. Braves and Milwaukee ordinarily get the daytime slots. They're not the primetime teams if they're not playing the Dodgers. And their fans go crazy. Why can't we watch our team at night? And that is all ratings driven. And that's just right. the reality of different markets. And that's the way it goes. But again, it's a scenario where you never have everyone happy, ever. Never do. Uh, all right, that's going to do it for this week. Great stuff. If you want to get us some questions for next week, you can do it via email, tabaseballshow at gmail.com. You can also call us, 646-543-7072. Coming up next on the feed on Tuesday, it's a good one. Dusty Baker is visiting Starkville. Mr. 2000 wins. That should be a lot of fun. I think it's his third trip to Starkville, Ken, which is not as many as you, but it's it's close. Um, that's impressive. A, that's stuff an impressive me. number from Dusty, no doubt. Yeah, he is a, a friend of Starkville for sure. Uh, and then, of course, great baseball talk all week long on the feed. If you want to join The Athletic, you can do it for $1 a month for six months right now. Go to theathletic.com slash baseball show. Ken, have a great week. You too, Tim. Thanks a lot. We'll talk to everybody out there next week.